0: bootstrap from 0 to 40 million in GMV and then went to raise 125 million.
1: Why? What I was trying to get is growth people. Capital became a byproduct of that. Bootstrapping is one of the best experiences anyone can go through, but It's got to be the right business model. There are models that you just cannot bootstrap unless the founder has some access to capital from a a prior exit. Bootstrapping is a very powerful experience because it teaches you how to be resourceful. It forces you to focus. You can only do one thing and it's got to be done very, very well. I
0: also want to highlight the way that they thought about their MVP when they were bootstrapping. They weren't prioritized building flashy technology. They met the customers where they were. Look at what they actually did.
1: We figured out how to convert website orders into faxed orders through an API. And so you would place an order on like Joe's Pizza's website. That order would then print in the fax machine at Joe's Pizza because they were used to getting orders via fax.
0: Now, I know this is about 10 years ago, but still they were using fax machines in their MVP because they wanted to meet the customer where they were. In a world where you can raise a tremendous amount of money, it's easy to get focused trying to build something flashy and cool versus the thing that the customer actually needs. Meet them where they are. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. We interview the best founders in the world and ask them what they did in the early days, right before that hockey stick growth moment. I'm your host, Adam O'Donnell, a former founder. I live here in San Francisco and I now work for Zendesk for Startups. Zendesk is a customer support platform and we offer six months free to qualified product-oriented startups. Two partner shout outs. First, Doxen. You've heard of them. Top founders use them to share their decks with VCs so they can know if they're actually reading it and where they drop off. Check out the 90% off discount. Second, Launchbox. They're a boutique marketing service firm that's on a mission to help founders win by embedding the best marketing principles into their company DNA from day one. Check out their free startup quiz. Ilyar, thank you so much for being on Sit Down Startup Founder Podcast. Uh, Really excited to hear about your journey building Slice. If you could just first just give us an overview of like what the company does and when you started it.
1: Yeah. uh, Slice is a technology and services business uh, company that uh, focuses on leveling the playing field for independent pizza shops, uh, just close to 20,000 independent family-run businesses. Um, And giving them the, you know, tools and capabilities and economies of scale that are usually only reserved for like the big chains and our products are uh, quite simple one is commerce enablement so it's online ordering websites online presence management uh, so that's sort of online commerce bringing them freeing them from the phone right so going from a phone-based business to an online business our other product is a point of sale it's called slice register and that basically allows us to reconcile all the different channels that uh, these businesses are using and then make sense of all that and provide insights. And then the third product is uh, what we call uh, supplies and, or it's actually called the goods. And this is where we bring buying power on things like pizza boxes and plates, cups, napkins, um, and bring that buying power to the independent uh, location. So that's what I mean by uh, you know products and services. Um, I started the company. There's actually been two forms of it. I started in 2010 under the brand mypizza.com. I bootstrapped that until 2016. We wound down the bootstrap company and relaunched that as, as Slice in 2016. So, in current form, uh, technically 2016.
0: That is really cool. How, how big are you now? How much money have you raised for anyone who doesn't know?
1: Yeah. Um, well, th- I know this is not what you're implying, but the one thing I will say is how much money you've raised is not an indication of how big a company is. So I think that's very, very important. But we have raised $125 million in our history. Um, in terms of how big we are, we work with about close, to, as I said, close to 20,000 locations across uh, all 50 states. To give you a sense for scale, that's as many pizza shops on our platform as the big four chains, the big four pizza chains have combined. So that's as much as Domino's, Papa John's, Little Caesars, and uh, Pizza Hut have combined in the U.S. So, you know, that makes Slice the world's largest pizza chain, basically. Um, In terms of uh, value, I, I think I may have announced recently that we're north of $100 million in revenue.
0: I just love this because it it seems like it would be too small of a niche to raise that much money, but you've clearly just broken the mold and raised more than most tech companies uh, in the history of the world. So that is there anything you can share on that, like when you were pitching to VCs, like how you frame that maybe in the early days?
1: A couple of things. One, I actually didn't really know what VCs were or never never really uh set out to raise money from VCs. Um when I bootstrapped the company, it was you know, bootstrap. So we we scaled uh, over the course of about five years. I picked my head up early in 2015 and realized that we were about to do $40 million in sales for 2015. And it was a very small team. We're a very profitable company. And I reached out to Wiley Cirilli, who was one of the leaders of Seamless and had founded a company called Single Platform. I reached out on Twitter, didn't know him. I just knew he was well uh, networked. And I thought he would be someone who can connect me to people who can join the company to help us scale faster. And he was incredibly generous with his time. He introduced me to some folks in the in the industry. And uh, a lot of people got very excited about what we were doing. First off, they were like, I have no idea what this, co- like, where did this company come from? Um, but then two, once, uh, once they were able to see sort of our performance, um, there was a lot of excitement for them to join, and that's really how we raised our our first capital. I actually didn't need money. we were profitable. we had money in the bank. What I needed was uh, a network of individuals who knew how to help scale this business from point A to you know what my future vision was, and in order to build those relationships, capital was deployed. so that was our first round um, our second round was quite simple. One of those investors was Ben Sun from Primary Ventures, New York-based. Uh, one of the best investors, one of the best people anyone can ever meet. Incredibly smart. He, I was fortunate enough to have him on my cap table with a very small allocation from that first uh, little round. And I want to say a year in, uh, we just agreed for Primary to lead our second round. And so Primary Ventures led our round in 2016. Uh, I didn't go and I didn't do a roadshow or anything like that. Um, The third round was uh, I was at the Pizza Expo a year later. Uh, There was such a thing, which is this big industry event in Vegas. Uh, It was around, I want to say, April or May of 2017. And I was fortunate enough to meet Jeff Richards from GGV Capital through our then CMO, and Jeff and Robin from GGV flew into this expo almost instantly. We had a great conversation, loved what they were doing, loved what they could bring to the table. And so that was our third round, and that was in, um, in 2017, and then we've raised a couple of rounds since then.
0: Wow. I-, I love that you were bootstrapped originally. And made that shift. Is there anything that you would share to bootstrap founders who are on the line, considering kind of where you were and and like teetering on making that decision to to get more growth capital?
1: Yeah, um, it's interesting because like, you know, I can say that I was deliberately trying to get, get growth capital. I, what I was trying to get is growth people. Mm. Capital became a byproduct of that. Um, you know, bootstrapping is one of the best experiences anyone can go through but it's got to be the right business model there are models that you just cannot bootstrap uh, unless you know the founder has some access to capital from a prior from a prior exit or something like that but bootstrapping is a very powerful experience because it teaches you how to be resourceful it teaches founders how to be scrappy it forces you to focus like you don't have the um luxury of like doing 30 different things you can only do one thing and it's got to be done very very well and and very efficient and so i'm very very um fortunate and happy to have gone through that bootstrap phase because i'll tell you like in the last year and a half two years as companies have needed to become more efficient for slice it was just a natural transition we're a profitable company today uh but that's because you know it's instilled and it's sort of ingrained in the DNA of our of our people and in our business model. I don't know that we would be as successful in that transition if we don't have those bootstrapped, uh, you know, years under our belt.
0: Mm, that is really cool. Well, could you take us into a, one of the lower moments you've had on your founder journey and kind of how you were able to get out of it?
1: Where do I begin? Uh, you know, as founders know, like, there's, you wake up one day and you feel like you're unstoppable and you'll wake up tomorrow and you feel like it's the end of the world. And that's the um, roller coaster that we're on. But one of the things that um, I did was I had to invest in building a team in, uh, in Europe to help Mm -hmm. us scale as a bootstrap company, because for two reasons, one, there's just an incredible pool of untapped talent there, but also it's relatively inexpensive compared to talent in the U S and as we scaled to thousands of locations on the platform, that team was basically our operations engine. But the team is also in some of these remote towns in Southeastern Europe where internet is uh, not always guaranteed. So there would be moments where uh, it's a Friday night or Halloween, which is a very busy pizza night, and internet would go down in our operations center. And now there's thousands of orders flowing through and customers calling but there's no one who's answering the phone like it's just like it feels like it's the end of the world because it feels like you're just going to lose every merchant you're going to lose every customer um now we also i think the beauty of those moments is you also learn um how resilient teams are and how quickly teams come together and what teams do in order to like solve for the for the problem but that's an example of, um, many others like it where you're like, yeah.
0: Oh, I bet that was so frustrating. Like where were you when you found out? Cause I'm assuming you were in the U S at this moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I love spending time with customers. So, um, I remember I, I was, uh, you know, traveling from one pizza shop to another. I usually go and sit down and like, just watch how pizzerias operate, you know, have some pizza and I'm just like in observe mode. So I was at a pizza shop. I remember, um, and w- one of the ways I found out was that the pizzeria I was at was, uh, dealing with an issue where the customer was like, I placed an order and the pizzeria was like, well, we never got it. It's because our system was down. So, um, what, what was
0: that feeling in your stomach at that moment? You're at the customer and, and you're <laughs> literally the reason their customers, mad.
1: Yeah. It's, I've learned not to panic. And so I I wouldn't say that, I mean, internally, certainly it's a terrible feeling. You get a nod in your stomach and, you know, founders know in that moment, you actually don't have too much time to think whether this is the end or not. But what you have to do is what I was able to do. And I think it's just part of who I am, just staying calm and just trying to figure out, okay, what's next? What's the next best action we can take? uh, And how do we solve for this? Um, yeah, it was it was tough. Uh, there were many hmm. many moments like it like I said. Um I would I, say for me it's a, it's a it, it's been a little bit interesting cuz uh, I haven't gotten too high when things go really well. I also try not to get too low when things don't go very well. Um hmm. you know, I I compare businesses to sports a lot. You know, and when you um when you watch basketball and you watch these players, you watch, you know, I grew up watching Michael Jordan or you watch LeBron James today. Um, No matter what's happening around them or in their life, they show up every day in a very consistent manner. And so I think how we show up, especially in the most challenging moments, um, is a very important part of being a leader. So for me, I just always have that in the back of my mind.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, help us um, for any founders that are in their early days of building their platform, their tech, maybe they have a current job or are a service business, and they're trying to start the the product business on the side, or they're just in the beginning days of fundraising. Um, help us with like how you were, how you thought about your MVP and when you knew it was ready to push that kind of stuff.
1: Oh boy. Uh, MVP. Um, if, if that, I mean, the realization for me when I started Slice was that, Domino's at the time was making a lot of progress with digital ordering. Uh, in 2010, 30% of their business was online online volume, online transactions. Today, it's 85%. Um, and that has created so many benefits, both for the consumer and the franchisees of Domino's. It's a very efficient, higher revenue model. And so for me, it was really important to bring that same opportunity to independence, I also knew that at some point, all transactions would be digital. You know, when I started Slice, 1% of transactions were online for food ordering. Um, I knew that eventually that would be 100, whether it was in two years or 10 years or 20, that was the tailwind. And so the first product we ever built was basically a website um, with online ordering for a pizza shop. Think of it as like Shopify, Shopify for brick and mortar locations. And that was it. It was, as, it was as simple as that. And so as soon as we would partner with a pizza shop, we would enable this website with online ordering. And now they had uh, this new channel. Now, um, the reason why I was an MVP was like, great, consumers can place an order on this thing. But then how does the pizzeria get the order? And so we would go to pizzerias and say, you can get a dashboard, a tablet, whatever. Um, and they were like, I don't need this technology because like they didn't realize that they needed this channel. It was still very early. So we figured out how to convert website orders into fax, into faxed orders through an API. And so you would place an order on like Joe's Pizza's website. That order would then print in the fax machine at Joe's Pizza because they were used to getting orders via fax. So they didn't have to change anything about their... Um, about their experience, and then the consumer had this sort of new channel, and so that was it. Like it wasn't pretty. It, it was it just worked, and we sold that. Um, we did nothing more to the product for the next four or five years, probably. We just sold it to about two thousand or three thousand locations, and then volume started to really ramp up with each new location, and then that's how we got to you know forty million in in GMV.
0: That's amazing. What what I'm hearing is like so, it, like I think that a lot of founders would have thought that that's a downgrade kind of opportunity. Like faxing, that's going to go away. You're you're trying to focus on the future, but you're meeting the customer where they are because you're staying close that's, to
1: them. Exactly. And once once the value is shown, so like once their fax machine kept printing and printing and printing, then going back to them and saying, "Hey, look, you know what? You don't need this fax fax machine. We could just give you this like." Dashboard where all your volume is there, and you can know who the customer is. That conversation is a lot easier once you show them what's possible. But upfront, asking them to change their workflow so that you can have the right to, you know, deliver to them value is a very um, steep ask for a very small business.
0: Mm. And you understood that because you stay close to them.
1: That's yeah, because you're you're spending time. You know, you're spending time inside these uh, customers' uh, businesses. You're just observing. You're you're looking at how they're um, how they're operating. Again, mm. the, we're in a space where we're dealing with like very small businesses. These are these are tiny, tiny businesses, typically operated by the owner, and they have an existing workflow. And every single day, they're in the habit of this workflow. They're like flying this plane alone. And for us to go and say change the instrument panel of your business so that we can work with you. That doesn't work. Right. So you have to figure out, okay, how are they working? And then can I find a way to integrate with that existing workflow and then talk about changes later on, maybe like gradual changes.
0: Mm, That's so good. Well, help me with uh, how you got to conviction that there was an opportunity in, in just this online ordering initial MVP of the product. Like I'm just, because I think there's a lot of founders who like talk about it. They're getting excited. Maybe they're beginning to build it, but they're like trying to go to investors to raise the money to be able to build it, all that stuff. But along the way, they're not fully convicted. And I'm just curious if you could just lay out how you thought about that.
1: Yeah, two things. One, uh, I I just, again, have to be honest, I wasn't solving for investors. I wasn't solving for raising capital. I was solving for something that I truly believed in and, um, and a market that I'm very, very passionate about. I took about almost a year studying the pizza industry broadly Uh, and so here's the numbers for example. There are about 80,000 pizza shops in the US who collectively manage about 47 billion dollars in revenue every year. Out of those 80,000 locations, about 20,000 are the big chains combined. These big chains have invested in technology, they had invested in online ordering, I mean 2009 2010 domino stopped advertising the phone number it was all order online order online um when i look at domino's performance at that time and i'm seeing what's happening as a result of digital i now look at the independent segment and it's three quarters of the industry it's 30 billion dollars 30 some odd billion dollars in transactions and they're all offline that's all i needed to see to build conviction uh, I knew it would it would happen. It was just a matter of building the product and driving adoption. And so I think when you just like study what's happening, understand the tailwind, understand the opportunity set, have some comps to, to, to at least give you some confidence that you know, uh, the product or the experience will work if you build it well, which for me was Domino's and Papa John's. Like I knew that consumers would order online. Local businesses have a better pizza. They just didn't have the technology. Um, that's that's what I was focused on. It actually had nothing to do with raising capital or investors. It had to do with, um, yeah, just building, building something that I thought really needed to exist in the uh, category.
0: Mm. I, I love the basics. And I think in Silicon Valley, we have a tendency of getting way too excited about the TechCrunch article that comes out. When we raise our round. So, um, this is just pure gold. So, thank you so much for that. A couple last questions, but where do you spend your time now? What's the most valuable thing you do?
1: Um, Spend time with the same shops, customers. Uh, There's nothing more valuable than spending time with the customers and trying to understand what is the next tailwind, what is the next change that's happening, and how can Slice be at the forefront of that change? I will say for founders and CEOs, one of the other reasons why that's the most valuable part of your time or how to spend your time is because then you're leading by example. It tends to then have a cascading effect on the rest of the company. And now they're spending time with customers and they're talking about the customer. And so um, again, I don't know that there's anything more important than, uh, than time with customers. I will also say when it comes to the other responsibilities we have, whether it's raising capital or being invited to, you know, uh, on, being written by, on, about on TechCrunch or invited to conferences, performance determines all the success you'll have with all the other things. If you don't perform, fundraising is difficult. It's not about the story. Whenever our numbers have been great, capital, raising capital has been easy. When our numbers haven't been great, I don't care how good the story is. Fundraising is difficult. So that's the most important thing you can do is make sure you're focused on the customer and performing. All the other things are um, a byproduct of that.
0: Ah, that's so good. How, how much time do you spend with customers per week? If you had to just average it out, like, are we talking five to 10 hours or like any, any kind of range?
1: Um, I would say right now, almost half my time. Almost half my time.
0: Yeah, is that like getting pizza, or is that flying around the country and like going to locations? Is that just in your area? Uh,
1: right now, I'm on this journey to, uh, and here's the example: I'm on this journey. I've partnered with our uh, product leader Peter Chain to launch the Keep Local Thriving Award, and this is an award that recognizes excellence in small business, especially in pizza shops. And so, I committed to visiting at least 100 locations this year around the country to personally give them the, what we call the KLT award. Pretty soon after other members of the team at SLICE in different parts of the country also raised their hand and said, hey, there's this shop in my town that deserves a KLT. And so now they're going and giving out these awards. But I would say the the most uh, important part of my job this year is to uh, figure out how do I continue to scale my time across all these locations. so that's sort of um, that's like job number one this year.
0: So for anyone who's just listening, um, you were featured on CNBC's Fast Money. Tell us what that was like, and just like, were you excited? Were you how nervous were you? All that what was the experience like?
1: Yeah, um, I will. I will tell you. I used to be a lot more nervous. Um, I've been fortunate enough to meet some amazing people along the way. Dan Nathan, who you see here on the screen on the left side, is one of those people. Jeff Richards, who's our investor, who's a consistent uh, presence on CNBC. And so uh, through these relationships, I've been given opportunities. But I used to be very nervous. And over time, that changed because uh, for two reasons. One you know, people continue to sort of urge me to be authentic, be myself. So I just speak as myself. Two, um, what made this segment I thought very successful was that the topic was core to who I am and where I spend my time. Uh, For folks who are looking to like venture into the media world and do interviews, my advice would be to focus on sessions or content that you truly understand inside out because the more you understand something, the less nervous you'll you'll be because you know it. you're going to, you're going to talk about it like it's you know um like it's something that you've spoken about for the for the, for your entire life so for me is, this yeah. session was awesome it was simple uh we kind of spoke about what's happening in the pizza industry my other advice to founders who are looking to go in this uh, in this area is you know try to be more of a thought leader um don't you know my the advice i've gotten is don't be like don't try and be a, a company advertiser like you're not there to chill your company or just talk about what your business does. You're there to be a thought leader and a byproduct of that is that people will learn more about your company so so for those who go and watch this, you'll see that I actually talk about slice very little most of the conversations mm. about the pizza industry and those
0: trends mm, I love that you yeah you're getting connected to the bigger piece that gets everyone fired up and as sure. a byproduct you're you're being mentioned. Uh, exactly similar to this we're talking to you as a founder <laughs> so, exactly. so good well thank you so much for your time and thank you. uh, what, what's the best way to reach out to you is it linkedin or twitter if i'm a founder who's just like hey can i have just two seconds of advice
1: uh i'm active on both platforms but twitter is the one where i'm like the most uh, instant so just at Elir Sella on twitter
0: awesome thank you elia thank you Boom. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about Zendesk for startups, check out our website, zendesk.com slash startups. Also, we're always looking to improve. So don't hesitate to email me with any feedback on how we can ask better questions, guess the target or anything else so we can do to better help you as a founder. My email is adam.odonnell at zendesk.com.